Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you this morning, and it's so good to be here with you guys uh, this morning in worship in person. I'm so glad to be here. And, uh, you know, before we begin, I really want to thank, could we put our hands together and just thank this awesome worship team that was up here just praising the Lord with us? Uh, I have to tell you, one of the things that that is so uh, moving to me is that when I can watch every person up here and see their own offering they're bringing to the Lord. These are not players and singers, but they're worship leaders inviting us into the presence of Almighty God, and I'm so grateful for every one of them. You could probably thank them again. Yeah. Hey, before we get started, too, I wanted to just share with you that um, Pastor Jose and Gigi and little Caleb are doing great, and yep, they're doing great. And uh, word on the street is they're going to be back in the saddle next week. Pastor Jose will be back here with you, and we're super pumped about that. Uh, They've had some time to be together as a family and bonding together, and I don't know if you're catching any pictures. I don't do Facebook. My wife does, and so she's been showing me some of the pictures that they've been posting on there, and they look so great. And It's Caleb is just what a beautiful little boy looks like his mama, praise God. So uh, God has been good. So anyhow, I'm so grateful for them. And um, and I want to say this would probably be my spot to just say um, thank you for loving Jose and Gigi well. Thank you for loving them well. Um, uh, Jose is our guy for this campus, and we just believe in his leadership and. I'm telling you what, he is a young man that is hungry, and uh, I'm so excited about that, and just in his own leadership and what he's learning and and his walk with God, he's just a beautiful uh, leader, and I'm so thankful. We're just privileged to have him uh, as a part of our church family. I want to remind everybody tonight, if you want to, if you want to hear it again, we're going to, we're going to do something tonight uh, out on our West Palm, our Loxahatchee campus. We're going to have church uh, outdoors tonight at five o'clock. We were, we're, we're trying to create another venue for those who maybe don't want to come into the worship space yet, maybe don't want to worship online, and so we're going to try this. And you know, it's interesting, we've been all excited about this. We said weather permitting, and of course, the weather's kind of iffy. And I was talking to Pastor Jeff uh, earlier before the service, and I said, every single decision we're all making right now, nothing is clear. Can I get an amen to that? Every decision right now seems like a sort of decision. So I think we're meeting outdoors tonight at five. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. But anyhow, uh, I want to encourage you to grab your journal or your Bible or your notes. We're going to dive in this morning. We are in week five of a super challenging series. We're calling the series How Life Works. And uh, we are working our way through the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And what I've been saying uh, in these weeks together, this is 
challenging content for the, uh, for the preachers. It's challenging for the listeners. It's challenging for those of us who self-identify as followers of Jesus. I've been saying if you don't yet self-identify as a follower of Jesus and you tripped your way into this room, we're going to say some things in this, in this series that make you think we've absolutely lost our mind in terms of what everything is going on in the culture, and this is where we are. I was thinking about this. Boy, did, boy, did Jose pick a nice time to get away. I, and I think in the background, he was going, come on, GG, right? I thought that would be a little funnier than it was, but that's where we are. Uh, but anyhow, these are the words of Jesus telling us how life works, and, uh, and he meant them. And so every now and again, if you study the Sermon on the Mount, you will run into uh, you know, those who study it, you'll run into historians, you'll run into scholars, you'll run into people, pastors even sometimes who will say, well, Jesus didn't really intend that we would live out this ideal. It was just more or less, you know, something that, you know, he was saying and giving us that sort of idea. But we chose as a memory verse, we're going to put it on the screen for you to read out loud. This kind of proves the point that Jesus took it seriously. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, let's read it out loud together. He says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or a woman who has built their house on the rock. And so that's proof enough for all of us this morning. And so, uh, so far we have tackled some of these challenging conversations. Uh, This is what I would say, Sermon on the Mount, longest discourse ever recorded in the Gospels. It's as most recognizable within it are sayings and statements that we still yet say today in our common language. And these are things every now and again that people will say. And every now and again, I hear people say things and they're not even aware that Jesus was the one who said them. And you'll hear this still yet in today's culture. You'll hear things like, we'll talk about people being the salt of the earth. Well, that was a statement of Jesus. We'll, we'll talk about letting our light shine. We'll say things like, well, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Even love your neighbor. These are all the things that are still yet popular in our own culture, things that we would say. But even underneath that, these are the words uh, of Jesus. And so we looked at in the series so far, we've looked at the Beatitudes And these are the blessed are statements, and there's many of those. And then after we looked at the blessed are statements, we began to look at, uh, over these last weeks together, the disorienting words of Jesus that come in the Sermon on the Mount around six very important statements. We've taken a moment to look at every one of them, and it begins like this. This is the way I think of it. He says this, you have heard it said, say it with me, you have heard it said, say it again. You have heard it said, but then Jesus says this, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And so what he's doing in that moment for many of us know that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And so we learned that these are important statements. And within these statements, this is what we've been saying. We've been saying that Jesus isn't orienting people to the Christian experience. He was, first of all, disorienting people to the Christian experience. He was helping us unlearn before we learn. How many of you, by raising your hands, would say, sometimes to learn better things, you have to unlearn some not-so-good things, right? That's a part of what discipleship is. I remember years ago, my girls, my younger daughter, uh, coaxed me into joining her in this 
workout routine she was doing called CrossFit. How many of y'all have ever heard of CrossFit? And she came home, she was all pumped about this and, and you know, thinking uh, that I'm the rock star that she thinks I am, she said, Dad, you, you would totally crush this. And I got, I got seduced into that line of thinking and I joined this gym to go CrossFitting with her and it almost killed me. And I remember I would go over there and I am, I am not super good at all the, the technical ways to do certain things and a lot of it was this body learning experience. It was a horrible thing. I felt like I was embarrassing myself. I was embarrassing her. One afternoon I'm just, I'm, I'm completely exhausted laying on the floor of this gym covered in my own stuff. And I'll let you think of whatever that stuff might happen to be. And this kid walked over to me, he's about 20 years old, he was just ripped, and he looked down at me while I'm laying on the floor, and he said, you know, this is what, he goes, for all, for all of us young guys in the room, now think about that for a moment, what he's, what he's doing is signaling me out as not one of the young guys in the room. He said, I just want you to know, you're, my, you're our hero. Now get the scene, I am laying on the floor in my own sweat and every other kind of thing. And I thought I was looking up at him and I thought, if I had the energy to kick you, I would. (laughs) But when I think back about that experience, I was doing all of this radical unlearning to learn some other things, namely that CrossFit was not for me. That's what I was learning. But I will tell you that when Jesus makes these incredible statements, um, in a way, he's disorienting us to the Christian experience. He's taking some things that we might think where we might have planted a flag and said it's this, and there might be some of those statements where we go, well, it is this, but it's also something else. And so Jesus was orienting, and these are some of the things he said, this is what we've gone through. I don't want us to, to, to misunderstand this. He He said, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I say unto you, don't assassinate people with your words. Can I get an amen? He said, don't commit adultery, but Jesus said, but I say unto you, do not look at people lustfully. He was reminding us there that we're more than meat, then we're more than bodily urges. We have souls that will last forever. He said, you have heard it said, you know, and he starts talking about divorce and he starts saying, don't divorce, it's a sin. You should take it seriously. And if you do have to divorce, you should do every single thing you can to try to avoid it. He goes on from there, if it's not challenging enough, he says, he says don't break, you've heard it said, don't, don't break your oath, don't break your promise. But I say unto you, keep your promise. Promises matter. Your promises are less across your heart than they are more of a hope to die. And then last week, if it wasn't challenging enough, he said, you have heard it said to love your neighbor, but I say love your enemies. And in that moment, he was saying, I don't want you to practice unlimited revenge on people. What I want you to practice is unboundaried love for people. And when you think about these statements, here's church what I want you to know. These, none of us are exempt from this. I mean, if we're doing the work rightfully, 
Every one of us is challenged by this. Nobody gets a pass on this. It's kind of hard stuff. I remember back in the early days of my discipleship, which took place in this church, by the way, not this building, but in this church. I had a friend of mine, his name was Court Patton, and he married a hometown girl from this church. Her name was Tiffany Trexler. And I remember Court, Court and I were very good friends and we were growing in our relationship in the Lord together and we would, we would get together and um, we, would, we would eat barbecue. I think we would go to Sonny's, I think it was, and we would, we would eat barbecue and we would talk about what we were learning in the scriptures. And we, we, one day we were talking together about some of the hard things we were learning, probably this kind of stuff we're reading right now. And, and Court made this statement. It began to be a joke between us. He would say, these are hard teachings. Who can accept them? Which is what Jesus used to say. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? The disciples, I mean, would say that. And sometimes we want to read these things and we go, these are hard. Who can accept them? And what Jesus is doing is he's disorienting us to the Christian experience so that he might produce more fruit. So he might take us into a deeper understanding actually what the fulfillment of the law actually is. And so when we get through with all of that, if that's not challenging enough, uh, we, we're moving on now to a different part of the, of the sermon. And I, I want you to notice, uh, as we move into this uh, today, I want you to notice how it almost feels like the atmosphere in what Jesus is saying begins to change. Uh, he's had all this intense conversation, and it's almost as though, though he, he, he changes the atmosphere, changes the tone, it takes on a little different color, and I entitled the message this morning, really, and what he's saying is this idea of where it's almost like he's getting with us now as followers of Jesus, and he's saying personal words to us, hey, just between us. I used to have a friend of mine that would, that would say that if he ever wanted to say something important to me, so he'd go, hey, man, just between us. And it almost feels like Jesus is doing that, and I want you to notice how it shifts. And we're going to read now in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I want to read down to verse 6, and then we're going to skip ahead and read verses 16 through 18, because next week we're going to come and talk about prayer more specifically. So I'm not avoiding what we're going to talk about. I want to just connect these things together. So beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, here's what Jesus says. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. No reward. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, then he will reward you. And going on in verse 5, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on, uh, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you. They've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then over to verse 16, he says, And when you fast, 
Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that you'll not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Let's pray together. Lord, um, these are your words. And I pray that you would give us uh, an ability, God, in this space, in these moments together, uh, to consider that as we properly ought to, that this is a conversation just between us. God, here we are, your people, your, your, your tribe, your, your loved ones, your family. But God, would you take us under your wing this morning and would you say things to us that we need to hear so that we might know you better and follow you more closely? This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Can you feel the change in tone in what he's saying there? It, 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 again, it feels to me almost like he's just sort of calling us around, almost sitting us down at a table somewhere, and he's saying, hey, let me say a few things between us that we need to know, that we need to understand. And, and what he does is he points at these three things. He mentions three, and I, I want to make sure that I mention them. He's, he says, when you're helping the poor, do it in secret. Don't blow the trumpets. I know that sounds crazy. It's not about you. It's about the other person. Do it in secret. Bring dignity to the experience. I, I, I was thinking about this. On this campus, we have our community care center. And we've set it up. I mean, it just looks like a store. So the people who come in there can feel dignity of being involved in selecting and choosing what they need to help them out. And he says, so whenever you're doing this in the poor, with the poor, he said, you know, he said, don't, don't let everybody know what you're doing. Do it in secret. I, I was watching uh, recently, somebody showed me this thing that is tracking right now and trending on YouTube where uh, people of incredible means are going out and they're filming themselves giving large checks to the poor and the homeless. And that sounds, in one way, it sounds great, but here's, here's the interesting thing about it. There's no dignity or no humanity in it. They're taking film crews so that they could film somebody watching this and doing this. I watched one this past week where a, a young man, probably not money he earned, but money from somewhere else, was giving a, a person on the street a check for $25,000. He never once looked at the person. He only looked at the camera. And to be honest with you, it was disgusting. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, keep it between yourself. Then he goes, secondly, he says this. He talks about prayer, and he said, when you pray, he said, do it in secret. Don't, don't make a spectacle of it. Don't turn it into a thing. Don't pray long to get attention. Don't, don't be weird. Don't brag about it. Don't announce what you're doing. Keep it between you and God. This is some of the measure of our Christianity. And then he talks about fasting. 
And we might say that any practice of spiritual discipline, he goes again. Notice what he says, do it in secret. Don't try to make yourself look more miserable or appear more holy than you actually are. Don't flaunt your spiritual practice. It reminds me of, how many of y'all remember that commercial at Thanksgiving where the woman takes the Marie Callender pie and she puts it in the oven? And then she goes in, into, the, into the kitchen and she puts flour all over her face and then comes out and presents the pie like I've been striving to do this all day. It's sort of like that. Jesus is saying, not, not like that. And I, here's what I want to tell us. This is great stuff. This is wise counsel. This is all good information that we need to know and good advice to follow. But when I see this passage, I see something else here. I mean, first of all, definitely he's talking about how we practice our faith. And all of us, if you're taking notes, we have to learn how to practice our faith. We all have to come into this experience. And Jesus is reminding us, I think, you know, first of all, that you know, what we call Christianity is not just what we believe. And sometimes we make a mistake about that. We, we assume our faith is largely about what we believe. And I wanna say, it's important to believe things. It's important to believe the right things. But that isn't the sum total of our faith. Our, our faith isn't just what we believe, as important as belief is. It, 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 it's also what we practice, amen? And it's what we practice in connection with what we believe. And all of us need to learn how to do that. We have to learn how to practice our faith. And I I think just because there are millions of people in the world, there are millions of ways to learn how to practice our faith. I mean, we all need light and food and air and water, but in different amounts and conditions, what would feed a mouse would starve an elephant, right? What would grow an orchid would starve a cactus. When I became a Christian and a follower of Jesus, to be honest with you, I first started. I, I was eager, but I, had, I, didn't, I didn't have a lot of understanding, but I was super eager. Maybe you were like me. And I, I started doing in the Christian faith primarily what I saw others doing, whether it really connected with my personality or not. And, and there was a moment when I began to realize that, that in large measure, what I was doing was primarily only so that I could mirror and model what somebody else was doing. And in that measure, I wasn't growing the way that I think I actually could have grown. And I had to figure out how to take the next step in our faith. I remember reading one time that C.S. Lewis, who was one of the most influential Christians of the 20th century, he kept a journal near the front end of his Christian experience. And then he realized one day that when he was journaling, it made him preoccupied with himself. And so he quit journaling. We all have to figure our way out, but it's not just what we practice, it's uh, what we believe, it's what we practice. But I see something else underneath here that I want to point out this morning that I think is super relevant for us. And here's what I want to say. Jesus is pointing to our motives. Not just what we do, but why we do it. He's getting underneath the hood. And I think he's inviting every one of us every now and again to get up under the hood of our faith and to think through very carefully what it is that actually makes our spirituality, our walk with Jesus tick. He's 
teaching here that it's not just about what we do, it's about why we do it. A while back, I was reading a book by Patrick Lencioni. I don't know if you've heard of him. He is a Christ follower, and he's a, a, a business leader, and he is helping organizations learn how to thrive. And a lot of his writing, he writes these incredible little fables about a work environment that reveals some of the dysfunction of a work environment, and then he shares at the end of the book a model. I've read many, many of, uh, many of his books, and they're super fascinating. He wrote one last year called The, the Motive, and what he, what he talks about is that for those who aspire to leadership, most of us aspire to leadership out of two, for two reasons. One is we aspire to leadership because we want to serve other people. We want to make the world a better place, and we feel like we have something to contribute. But as we've seen in our culture over and over again, there's another kind of leadership that is only in it for the reward. And he said that is a, that is a dysfunctional, corrosive way to lead. And sometimes when I think about the Christian experience, we have to, we have to get underneath why we do what we do and to discover the essence of what the faith is all about. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery in the world and rebellion against God. It turns out he's right. And far too many of us wear the facade of Christian or religious, and when we do this, we have cut the heart out of the Christian experience, and we're in danger of harming our own faith and torquing and twisting the faith of those around us. Practicing the right thing for the wrong reason is corrosive. And I think there's probably a measure where every one of us should discover what that is, and we should repent of that. Jesus is talking about motive. And underneath motive, I I think that unfolds into something else that I want to point out this morning, because I think if we get this right, what I'm going to share with you, motives tend to follow in the right way. And underneath our motive, I think Jesus is challenging those who would listen just between us about the audience for which we actually do things. What is the audience that we're trying to garner? One of the biggest learnings for us right now is that we have to remember we have an enemy of our souls that will always create ways for us to get the cart in front of the horse and get our spirituality and our motives wrong. This is true. And I I gotta say right now, we 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 have tech industries that are completely built on the model of creating an audience. And so what we have going on is many of us, you know, if, if we just, if we click a like button or we qu- click a dislike button, some, somehow in our culture today, that makes us feel like we're justice warriors and that we're defending the right cause and we're growing our brand and we're growing our audience. And, and again, that's corrosive to the human soul. Part of what it means, I believe, to follow Jesus is that, that more and more and more we aspire to have an audience of one, which is Jesus. And I don't know how you do it. I was thinking about, you know, that's great. I, don't, I never want to preach in a way that just makes you uh, agree with me, but I want to 
preach in a way that, you know, uh, that I can help all of us, myself included, learn how to do this better. Because this is really going on right now in our culture. I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this talk, and it was a young man, he's not even yet 20, and he had done something and created quite a buzz on the internet, and, and he was being interviewed for what he did, and, 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 and the interviewer asked him, he said, what do you, what do you want to be when you, when you grow up, when you finally, you know, when you aspire to make your mark in the world? And this is what he answered. He said, I, I want to be a social, I want to be an influencer. He never identified what he wanted to influence, only that he wanted to be an influencer. This is the kind of stuff that, I don't know about you guys, it, it, it scares me. What does that look like unchecked in our culture? And so Jesus is inviting all of us just between us into a conversation where we take more seriously this idea of how we're virtue signaling to one another and what it is. I can tell you how I, how I think about this in my own life. What I do is I, I try to take my decisions and I move my decisions out into, the, in, into, into fast forward. And I go out a year, I go out five years, I go out 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 50 years. What, what is the decision I'm making right now? How is that gonna play 50 years from now? Think about that. You ever done that? I mean, for me, 50 years from now, right? 50 years from now, my, my mom will be gone. My, my mom will be with the Lord that she has loved most of her life. She'll be reunited with the one man she gave her heart to, my dad. She'll be in eternity. My kids, 50 years from now, they'll be in their 70s and 80s. Think about that. And their kids will be doing to them what they do to me. <laughs> right? You know, that's how they, how they do it. Every now and again, you know, I, I told the girls, I said, let me know if I'm trying too hard, if I'm wearing something that, you know, like I shouldn't wear that anymore, if I shouldn't, you know, every now and again, they'll go, hey, dad, I got some advice, do this, don't do that, you know, kind of thing. They'll be in their 70s, 80s. My wife will be gone and I'll be 109. Preach it. I mean, you know, every one of us, uh, we have to take who we are and how we're being formed and move it in, into these other spaces, right? I mean, how's it going to play? What is it going to look like? Jesus is forming a people. And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount, this part of the conversation, it, it's, it's, it's almost as though he steps you know, away from the pulpit, he steps off the mountain and he just feels to me like he's grabbing people around him and he's saying, hey, a couple things, just, just between us. Just between us. Always gut check your faith against your motive. Always gut check your faith against your audience. One of, one of the old spiritual mystic fathers said this, Serve God in your generation and die anonymous. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing if we all said, let's do that? I, 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 don't, I don't want anybody talking about me when I'm gone. I want people talking about Jesus. 
And then underneath all of that, underneath the motive and underneath the audience, he talks about the reward. And the interesting thing that happens when we get our motives and our audience cleaned up and working in proper alignment, the why behind the what becomes crystal clear and we start seeing the treasure in heaven. Paul, when he was about to hand his ministry off to Timothy, in those final two books are really kind of the swan song of everything that Paul had come to believe about the Christian experience. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, you know, physical training is of some value for sure, but godliness has value for all things, holding the promise for both the present life and the life to come. I want to remind everybody in the room that part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to not just fill this bucket up on earth, right? It's to fill the other bucket up. It's about eternity. We all have a certain season, a certain measure, a certain time, and we're all passing through. None of us came here to stay. The reality is that one day I'll be gone and Beth will be 109. That's probably more likely. And what we do for Jesus and what we do for his kingdom is ultimately what matters. And he he ends this section and he says, so just be reminded. Do it in secret. Do it in secret. Don't wear it on your sleeve. For me, I can tell you how I try to define that. I try to do for one what I wish I could do for everybody. So I try to lean in. Try to find a situation, try to be open to finding something, and then I can't do this for everybody, but I could do it for this couple. I could do it for this person. I could do it for this family. I could do it for this person. And then I keep it just between us. I I want some things in my own life that are going behind the scenes that it takes Jesus to explain those things. And when you look at the life of Jesus, what you find over and over again is that's, that's what he was doing. I, I wonder so often if that's why he was always, the Bible says, going away by himself to pray and have conversations with his father. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there just between us? So I want to offer a challenge to you. Uh, This week, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to try to put in practice. I want you to do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. And that might look like a note you need to write. That might look like a phone call, a meal you drop by. Might look like a coffee you're paying for the person behind you, some act of service that you never tell anybody about, but you would say to Jesus, hey, this is just between us 
And I think the Holy Spirit works in those things in ways we don't even understand. I think kindness, kindness has spiritual power attached to it. So I'm going to invite you into that as we all go on random acts of secret service in Jesus' name. Would you receive this benediction? Now would you go from this place filled with the presence of God, being reminded yet again that He sees you, that He loves you, that He cares for you, and that He has given you the great call to represent Him in all of the spaces you find yourself this week, that you might say to people around you, I see you and you're welcome here. Go in His grace and go in His love. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.